Hey, welcome to DNR, Discography and Review, where we take a look at bands or artists' past albums, see which have stood the test of time, and which were DOA. I'm Robert, and with me today is my co-host, Corey. Howdy. And today we're going to be taking a look at a band I, I know personally I spent way too much time um, reading into their lyrics, uh, combing over every interview, any scrap of information when I was just a wee lad in high school. Oh, Claudio. <laughs> oh yeah, there's there's like the new age prog and the now old head of emo. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about Coheed and Cambria. Be riding that emo wave. Be riding that emo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so what got you into Coheed, or what, what kind of like your history of it? Um, honestly, it was a. Uh, what was the, uh, I cannot believe I forgot it, uh, Favorite House Atlantic. That was, a. Uh, honestly, I saw that music video and I was like, well, this looks dumb and started watching it. And I was like, well, it is a dumb video, but I love this song and started listening to it. And that's what got me into them. Yeah, I, I think that was also a turning point for me, too, because I know my sister hated it. And, you know, gotta love it now. Yeah, I. Oh, she hates it? I'm going to love the shit out of this. Um, but yeah, I, I dug it, and then uh, Welcome Home came out. I really, really love that. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I I know I spent way too much time on their fan board, uh, Cobalt and Calcium. Oh, well, that's a, that's an interesting name. It's really not. <laughs> <laughs> because they all had, like, Coca-Cola or some shit for a while, too. All right. Well, yeah. Whatever floats our boat. Yeah, just the C O C A name. But anyway, yeah. Cock. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, uh, they were they were uh, very instrumental to me uh, learning about concept albums and stuff like that. Since they were considered for a long a long time to be a concept band. Yeah, I would not have known that had you have not shined light on that. Because it's like, man, these are some really interesting titles to these songs, and the lyrics are really odd, yeah. not very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> some, yeah. Well, I, well, we'll get to that like per album, but yeah, that, that's kind of like where I was when I first heard, like, especially when I read like the lyric book for uh, "In Keeping Secrets," their second album. There's a part in there with like um, it says. The lyrics are reflected a story that's being told throughout the albums. Do not take it seriously. I think it was after, like, pull the trigger and the nightmare stops. Right. And it was like, do not actually take this seriously. Like, well, and I think in uh, Burning Star, like, there's, like, something about I'd kill your baby or so I'd, I'd... Oh. So, like, I was like, oh, all right. Well, this dude's... All right. <laughs> yeah, this... Yeah, Claudio wrote some gnarly lyrics... Or writes gnarly, gnarly lyrics sometimes. Um, the band initially started off uh, as a shell from uh, the original band Is Shibuti. Um, Still what, love that name. <laughs> and it comes from uh, a movie called uh, the same thing, Is Shibuti, which I think means Naked Prey. I can't remember where, but it's Naked Prey. Uh, so, from there, uh, can you believe they started all the way back in 90... Like ninety five when no. Shibuti started, that's ridiculous. Yeah, they uh, they've and to still be 
I mean, granted, not as relevant, but to still be like where they are and who they are, like, is crazy to keep going that long. These guys have been together for like nearly twenty five. I think actually twenty five years, probably. That's solid. Um, but yeah, they uh, started Ishibuti, and they released three EPs, um, which were plans to take over the world in ninety nine, the Penelope EP. Again in '99 as well, and finally the Drillium Trigger in 2000 before um, switching over to officially be known as Cody and Cambria. Uh, I think they did it at the record label's behest, if I remember right, because like you can't market Ishibuti. Fair. <laughs> like maybe maybe if it was a Cisco album, <laughs> what you know, Thong Song Part Two. But yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought that. Because <laughs> when he said that at the beginning of the song, I was like, what is he saying? I, see, I thought for the longest he was saying, it's a birdie. And <laughs> if you if you listen back to it now and you say that in your head, you're going to be like, okay, I can see that, or maybe not. Claudio was definitely a golfing fan, or golf fan. <laughs> so the lineup uh, since then, there was a couple of changes, but by the time they uh, officially changed their name to Coheed, the lineup included Claudio Sanchez playing... Uh, Rhythm guitar, basically, and switching over to lead from time to time. Lead vocals, of course. He did piano, keyboarding, and some programming. Uh, you had Travis Stever, who did lead guitar. Also did a lot of the later kind of folksy instruments, like the lap steel guitar, mandolin, and some backing vocals. Because you can't have too many strings. You really can't. You really can't. Um, they got uh, Josh Eppert... Um, Joey Epper's brother from Three to join in uh, after he was doing his weird science rap career for a minute. All right, yeah, uh, and he did drums, backing vocals, keyboard, and programming as well. And finally, you have Michael, aka Mick Todd. I forgot people called him Mick for a while, but yeah, Michael Mick Todd uh, doing bass, backing vocals, and some of the harsh vocals you'll hear throughout most of the albums. So, to date, uh, Coheed have released about, well, I shouldn't say about, they released nine studio albums, five live albums, three live DVDs, four EPs under Coheed and Cambria. And, uh, yeah, today we're going to be looking at those first three LPs, including Second Stage, In Keeping Secrets, and Good Apollo Volume 1. So, with that, let's jump into the Second Stage Turbine Blade. No, we'll get chopped up. Too it's a turbine blade. Well, du- anyway, sorry, dumb joke one. Oh no, you're in the bag. <laughs> I had no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the original album was released uh, March fifth, two thousand, and was later re-released in the same year, September twentieth, through Equal Vision Records. With re-release having about two, I'm sorry, having an unreleased track of Elf Tower, New Mexico, and two demo tracks of uh, the song that appeared on the album. Uh, they said it was recorded from October through November of 2001, which is insane for recording. Yeah, like, you must have just, like, knew what you were doing or just completely... That's so short. What I ended up doing uh, when I was doing some research, I watched this Korean interview uh, in the UK, and he straight up... Uh, Claudio straight up said, like, when they were shopping around for a label, they were just shopping their EPs and a lot of some of their demos. Turns out a lot of those demos and music from the EP ended up just being 
recorded or not recorded, but literally used for the final album. Oh. They only went in there and changed like certain things, which probably would explain why it only took a month to complete it. Yeah. Um, they were just getting musicians right out of the get-go. Yeah. Well, I mean, hell, uh, with 2002, they've already had like over five years, seven years. They'd already gone through their whole melding and all that, so they were all yeah. ready to go. Uh, it was recorded at Stained Glass Studios in Paramus, New Jersey, uh, by producers Michael Bren- Benbrom, I, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, and Chris Binner. Uh, Bittner. Uh, which found out that they have actually recorded a bunch of punk albums. Oh, okay. uh, like uh, Bad Brains. Um, a few others. I wish I could fucking remember. I'm sorry. Sorry, don't... Didn't mean to curse, Robert. Sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, they've actually did a bunch of uh, hardcore and punk albums uh, before this, so it was a good fit, in my opinion. Uh, just, uh, they also helped with the final mixing. It's got that kind of rawness to it, like, that a punk album or a hardcore album would have. Not that it's, like, a hardcore album, but, I don't know, it's just got that, like, not overly processed, like, this is... Coheed and Cambria. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I know we've said it once, but um, just to give a general idea of how, what I'm about to say, this definitely feels like a first band album. For sure. It, it definitely feels like we just say we got some money together, we we got some studio time, and we just kicked out these songs we've been playing for the last five years. Yeah. And I mean, you're going to be working with, which I believe, like when I was doing some research on the um, Burning Star that, you know, these producers and stuff basically followed them, like, you know, from the beginning. And so, I mean, the longer you work with them, the longer you work with your bandmates, you're going to get better and better. And so, like, yeah, like, you can definitely see that over the career, over the next few albums. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had some guests, well, I should say guests. One of them is going to be Nate Kelly. Uh, he was actually the original drummer in Ishibuti, and he appears on two of the tracks because they were originally already recorded and demoed uh, for Drill and Trigger in 33. Uh, Dr. No, Bad Brain is also makes a guest appearance on guitar on Time Consumer. And some cat named Montana Mustbask. Uh, I believe he's of the band Tournament, but I couldn't what figure... What was that last name one more time? Ma- I think it's Maskback. I probably said it wrong. M-A-S-B-A-C-K. I prefer the first one. Muskback. <laughs> Sounds dirty. Yeah. Ma- Montana Maskback was... Yeah. Uh, he did additional vocals on Hearshot Kid Disaster. Okay. The only relevant single... The only relevant single to come off of the album would Devil in Jersey City. Um, the second... Second track, off, oh no, I'm sorry, the third, third track off the album. It had two different videos. One was like this weird, um, woman sitting in a chair, like rolling around with some CGI planets, like solar system shit, and a dude kind of like in the background, like flexing and shit. It's weird. It's supposed it to. It sounds like a psychedelic, like. <laughs> and not even psychedelic, it just, you can tell like they had like maybe a budget of 20,000. <laughs> <laughs> and they were just trying to do what they could to save it. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a second version where it's like the hoedown, where they're in like a barn or something, wearing overalls, trucker caps, and this playing song. You know, when I heard this song, I was just like, you know what, this would be really great for a hoedown. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. 
Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I overall, I, I, I dig the album. It's just one of those things where I did not start with this album. Mm-hmm. I started with the second and went to the third before coming back to the first. So my 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 tastes were already a little bit tainted by what was to come. But overall, it's just. It's not bad, but it definitely shows like what their potential is overall. Oh, for real? Like, I mean, I I say I don't think many people, and I, you know, I stick by that. I'm going to say it. I don't think many people did start with that CD because I mean they they got pretty popular on the second album. You know, Welcome Home just like kicked them in the door, and like they were just rad. And it was after I listened to that album that I was like, oh, they have another album. I was like. And you can just totally see the roots, like, you know, growing, like, literally, as you see, like, as the albums go along. And, like, this is still a rad album. Like, I, the first three are just so solid. They really, and I think a lot of that is, is just to the fact that, like, like we said, like, they had all that time to work together. I'm pretty sure they ha- already had riffs lined up for songs that they want to do and already has stuff just ready to go and the the album thing really didn't even come or the whole story thing didn't really come together till they were almost ready to record i think maybe a little bit beforehand but i think it was like around the drilling trigger when they when claudio sanchez actually had that story ready to go and it had changed and evolved over time um but even with that the lyrics we talked about it a little bit earlier, but the lyrics to me, they don't reflect the story in a lot of ways that I would like. Uh, you know, if, if you had to look at it at, on a scale of like one would be like Rush, like you listen to Rush, you follow the story beat per beat. And then like 10 would be like the Mars Volta where everything is just obscure references and maybe inside jokes that you don't get. Like Coheed is like dead in the middle. Yeah. Because there's stuff like, oh, okay, I get, I get the feeling of the song. But bits and pieces and lines and lyrics and lines of the lyrics can be happening at different parts of the yeah. Story. I mean, and there's even like stuff after um, after this album, there starts being like what I what I've always thought of as like these are dedicated like songs that push the story along or whatever because you know they'll have those like four or five songs that are like titled you know yeah yeah. And so, like, I, I've the other ones, like, if you could get something out of it, like, cool. But uh, I, I don't know. They've always been, like, a jam band to me. So I've never really, like, just super analyzed, like, the lyrics like that. Like, just, I've always been about those, like, riffs and stuff like that. Definitely coming back to it years later. Um, not worrying so much about what he's singing about and just listening to everything. It... There's a lot of stuff I didn't. I know I missed, and I've just I I, I ended up really loving Second Stage Tur- Turbine Blades a little more than I did when I first heard it. After I'm re-listening, I still say it's a it's a solid first album for a band. For sure. It's the first album for a band, and there's stuff about there's songs I really love. Like Time Consumer is amazing. Yeah, like I legit won't throw anything into like my playlist, like unless I actually like it. And like I was saying earlier, those first three songs are just, they're solid. Like, I would listen to those over any other, you know, cohesion, or just as well as any other. Because, I mean, the the talents there, the music, the musicianship is there. Like, it's, 
time consumer. Yeah, it, it's that is just man. That's a rad song. <laughs> it, I love that. Uh, it's like a slow jam, kind of like like you don't know where it's going to go, and then when it kicks off, and it just it just goes through. It's like an onion, man. It's got layers. <laughs> I wouldn't. I even wouldn't really even call this album like progressive. Like, yeah. I, I think once you get to the later albums, you get more into that. But it definitely, I get the jam vibe, and I really dig it. Yeah, um, I think they were just doing what sounded good to them on this album. Then they're like, uh, oh, prog rock. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> there, I, I think I told you this before, but you know, some of the songs started off like a different thing to begin with. Like thirty three was originally about Patrick Ewing, who a basketball player. Oh, I f- don't ask me what team you play for. I love them b balls. I I'm I don't know sports ball, <laughs> <laughs> but it's about Patrick Ewing, and it would change to be about us like a singular character named Patrick, mm-hmm. who the whole song is basically about him being hunted down and killed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, you would think, like, oh, man, he must be super important to the story. He's not. <laughs> this was just a side story. <laughs> you thought this was the main plot, but it was me, the side plot. <laughs> it's not even, like, a side plot. He's, like, a like a Z plot. Oh, God. It's, like, um... Just work for the rhythm and the rhyme. <laughs> but, I mean, it's still a good song. Yeah. It, it is a fun song to, like, I'm running down, that kind of shit. It's fun. There is this, some of that shit is just silly to me, and I think later on when they actually dedicated albums, or when they went to the recording to dedicate albums to the story, the writing became a little bit more tight to that. Mm-hmm. But like, like, what song would you say are songs? Would you say like you just didn't care for this album? Because I think me and you might have the same. Yeah, I think we had kind of spoke on this earlier. <laughs> We're kind of polar opposites on like our. Uh, so, like, my least favorite was um. Uh, what was the name of it? Godson Conspirator? Like, to me. To me. Because <laughs> um, it just, man, it was like, to me, it was a weak song, like, to end on. Like, I'm sure there was something more there that maybe I just wasn't picking up on. But did you did you hear the hidden track, iRob? Not iRob. Yeah, it was iRobots. No. Yeah, there's a hidden uh, track called iRobots. Like, no, I like- did not hear that. <laughs> It's, <laughs> wow, are you... Okay, yeah. There's a hidden track called iRobots at the end of a God Sin God Conspirator. Oh, well, I need to listen to that, I guess. Let's play now. <laughs> but I do, like... I mean, it's not a bad song. I just, like... I don't know, like, if I were to ever, like, make a studio album type thing, I'd just want to go out with a bang. And I do like, though, how it, like, wraps around back into itself. Like, you know, like, it kind of has a overture of the, the first, the intro and everything like that. I thought that was kind of rad. Fun fact that uh, that piano riff you often hear throughout the uh, first three albums, written by uh, uh, Eppard. He uh, actually came up with it. Uh, and when we get to the fourth album, No World for Tomorrow, I'll talk a little bit more about some conspiracy theories by the fans at the time. Ooh, I love a good conspiracy theory. Yeah. Oh, we got, I got a good one for you that we're going to be talking about. It's going to deal with the didgeridoo. Lizard men. Yeah. And didgeridoos. But no, I, 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 I like Gus and Crater. I don't care for the lyrics. I don't think it's, 
vocally a powerful song, but this the background it has a good rhythm, good feel. Um, I, I can just jam out to that and just be. But I agree, it's not a good album closer. Yeah, and I mean that. Maybe that's just me being a picky. Mm. Oh, that's a picky pig. <laughs> uh, me, I just I did not like June song provisions. That was probably a second contender because yeah. I mean, it probably is their most progressive song on the album, but... It's just not good. Progress from trash, progressing to trash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm coming from this from, like, an ex-fanboy. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to gush too much, but at the same time, I don't want to just sit there and just shit all over, like, hard work. Yeah, I mean, but even you have to look back at your own work and be like, you know what? That wasn't great. <laughs> no. June's song provision to me is just not good. It, I think it deserved to have been rewritten, probably, or at least this pitch and to put Elf Tower New Mexico. Okay. Did you listen to the, uh, Re-release or do you listen to the original release? It was the uh, re-release that had okay. like the bonus songs and all that stuff on there. Okay, that's probably why because uh, iRobots is actually at the end of Everything Evil, the original demo. Ooh, yeah, on the re. Well, then I might have heard it it's, at some point. Maybe I just need a refresher on it. It's a it's an acoustic thing where Claudio sings that weird high falsetto. I know that's weird for Cody Cambria, but it's about like iRobot will never die. Hmm. I don't know, but uh, other than that, like I loved, I love Time Consumer. I really dig uh, Drilling Trigger. To me, I just thought those two tracks alone were stand out. But um, Everything Evil is pretty fun too. The special up that ending part where you like see Scream is Claudio, right? Which you told me, like, literally the only reason that it says Claudia, it's not like a vain thing, like, oh yeah, I want my name in this song. It was just a placeholder that everyone was like, you know what, that sounds okay. Yeah, because uh, he was like, he didn't want to like put it a name as himself, but he couldn't think of anything better, so he just put Claudio for the time being, it just stuck. <laughs> and it, it, he comes back to kind of reference that in, I think, the story of part of a good Apollo volume one, but, um, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, this, if, if anyone's interested in the story, a good wrap up is Coe and Cambria are this couple living on, living in this place called heaven fence. There's fucking mages and there's angel women called prizes and P R I Z E prize. Um, and one day they're told, like, hey, you guys are called Monstars. <laughs> All right. No, I'm into it. No, I mean, like, if you listen to the lyrics, <laughs> like, when he says, like, evoke Monstar, that's what they're Oh, talking. my God. <laughs> <laughs> just made that click. <laughs> like, but I'm just sitting here thinking of Space Jam. <laughs> Like, all right, Claudia. <laughs> like, a Rocky ripped him off by naming, like, the, like, uh, Giorno Giovanni's, like, a mob star. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, they, they have something in them called the Monstar that they can negate, but their children have something called the Sin Star in them. And that you need to kill your children or else they will wreak havoc and cause the destructions of this heaven fence. Um, 
Koheed succeeds in killing three of the four children. Uh, two with poison, one with a hammer. Um, which we get reference in the whole hammer to the girl's back's hmm. head side or something like that. And Claudio, their oldest son, escapes. Which, again, you'll make it if you believe. Yeah, I feel like I just need to like sit down with you and listen to the songs, and you just be like, "And that's where this happens." And that's I wish I could, but you, I can't because there's so many times where it's like, "Okay, skip that line." That's line for like chapter five. Uh, we're in chapter two right now. Why? Who writes like Claudio does? I guess for him, if I remember reading right, it was more along the lines of he's just invoking the feeling per each song, but again, it's kind of hard to... That's that's my major issue. It's hard to invoke emotions when you're trying to tell a story versus telling a story and then invoking emotion by referencing it. Um, like, I love the Deer Hunter. I will not... I'm a, I'm a huge fanboy of the Deer Hunter, and he's constantly having... Uh, telling a story, but having motifs in the background where you realize, oh, it's from this character's perspective. Oh, shit, this character's coming in. While Claudio's just like, it's, it's your interpretation. You do what you think. <laughs> but there is an actual story, and you're gonna... Like, okay, Never Ender? The, the title Never Ender? Uh, what is it? Uh, track 11? Or something? Um... Uh, Track not track nine. I'm sorry, never enter. That's about that title comes from the the gun Claudio gets later on in the. This is a gun. Just all right. It, you think the gun plays an important key? No, it's literally just a gun. It's literally just a gun. That's so weird. Like I mean, to, to just take something so insignificant and just give it the title of a song, like the Here Shot Kid disaster. Uh huh. It's literally like a rallying cry. Okay, so I, I'm not going to get too deep into the story because we'll be here all fucking day just from the first thing. But anyway, uh, kills kills a kid, except one, he escapes, gets a gun named Never Ender, goes to a planet full of aliens, and befa- befriends a uh, guy named Cecil, and uh, then he leaves. <laughs> My God. I'm, just, I'm just I'm making it quick. Going camera get transported to a world where they're held down, and then a flood of dragonflies, which is why there's dragonfly on the album cover, swoop down and stings them. I don't know why they didn't inject them, but yeah, butterfly or I'm sorry, dragonflies cover this planet. They sting them. They turn into the monsters and end up breaking up half of Heaven's Fence. And then beat Michael Jordan in basketball. Yeah, and then um, <laughs> I'm running you down, like you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a long story and, and kind of at times incoherent. But the story actually gets progressively more coherent and clearer as it goes on. It's jitters, I think, just for Claudio. Or it's like the band. They just get better and better as it goes. Like, fine one. Definitely. Definitely. Um, any final thoughts you want to give on Second Stage? Um, or- if you haven't like listened to it, I mean, you are a fan of Coheed, you love that album. I mean, it's just... I think everyone who is a Coheed fan, or just, you know, prog rock, uh, maybe not prog rock fan, but maybe a fan of, like, you know, 
emo, you know, solid rock music. Like it's it's a good album. Um, jam around to it is definitely it's worth a listen. It, it definitely is worth a listen. I, I will say, um, yeah. Even if you're just a fan of post hardcore, um, early two thousand music, or even this interested in seeing where emo kind of evolves from. Or just even if you got into Cohen Camber later on in your life, definitely check it out. It is worth a spin, even if it's not one of my favorites. Or not uh, one of my top favorites. Yeah. So, moving on, we're going to talk about In Keeping the Secrets of Silent Earth 3. That's where the magic really began. I probably said the title wrong. It's In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth. Colon 3. <laughs> we'll keep it a secret. <laughs> Do you remember the Mighty Boosh? God, yes. Remember that whole thing was like Howard Moon colon Explore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe that was what Claudia was really into them too. It was just like colon. <laughs> maybe that's what he uh, he expected people to say every time they mentioned the album. Uh, I guess he know. seems that extra type of dude. This is probably gonna get deleted out of there, but it's just I love that line just so much because it's like I think you need to rethink that line, mate. <laughs> anyway. In Keeping Secrets um, came out on October 7, 2003. It was released uh, through Equal Vision and Columbia Records, recorded at Applehead Recordings at Woodstock, New York, which is actually the uh, producers uh, who, once again, Michael and Chris, uh, it's their actual studio. So I thought that was really cool to find out. Altogether... um, a quick little side note, the album technically has 12 songs on it, but is listed as 23 on the official track recording when you got the original CD. Because there's um, tracks 12 through 22 are labeled as a lot of nothing. 1 through 21 or something like that. But yeah, uh, 23 being the hidden track, 2113. Which is a nice little reference to Rush, 2112. See... I, I always thought, like, man, that's that looks similar to something. Thank you for curing that. Oh no, you'll you'll love how they incorporate in that story when we get to it. Oh god, because it's super, it's super dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Uh, the there is a guest track, or there is a guest artist who actually became a uh, continuous, a continuous. Uh, Almost like a fifth member, in a way, a spiritual fifth member. Uh, Danny Lewis, he played additional keyboard throughout the album. But cool thing about him is that he's actually played with a lot of big names, including the Kinks, Greg Allman, Joe Crocker, LaVon Helms of the band, Phil uh, Leash, and Eric Clapton. Damn. Yeah, he has played for a lot. He's a session musician already. Uh, but he he appeared on most of Cohen Cambria albums after this. That's rad. Yeah. Have someone that's played with Eric Clapton. Like, yeah, I mean, we're kind of a big deal, so whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, Danny Lewis is a beast. Like, like just listening to him on... I checked out a few of his songs. He's he's a fucking beast. I need to see if, like... Because I know, like, I've watched Neverender, you know, that live DVD like a hundred times. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if if that, it's not him. Oh, okay. It's someone else. I, I'll get that name when we cover Neverender. Yeah, for real. Uh and also, Bill uh, Scovell did the art direction for the album. I know that's really random, but going through the history of him, he's he's done a lot of uh, uh, art artwork and 
art design layout for a lot of big name bands. So it's cool to actually see him come through, even if it's really just cloudy sky. Yeah, like I was kind of like art direction. He, this dude just took a picture of the sky. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I thought I'd just give that a note. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, because I mean, you do. Uh, to be to kind of backtrack a little bit, going back to second stage turbine, you had asked me like, "What did I think of that album artwork?" And I was like, "It's a cool dragonfly, man." <laughs> You're just like, "Well, actually," and that's when you drop that whole like bombshell of like, you know, it's a like a planet full of these dragonflies, and I was like, "Oh, there's there's some deeper meaning to this dragonfly." Which is there something to? Yeah, it's story related and. We're not going to spend all day on it. We're, is that what you're saying? We could, but <laughs> if it makes it easier, because like the title track of Second Stage Turbine Blaze, or like the title itself, I believe comes from the fact that Coheed had these arm blades uh-huh. that he called turbines. I can't remember what exactly, but in, the In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 is actually um, where the rebel faction is at in the story. There is one of the planets that were dislodged when they went all monster and destroyed parts of heaven fence. Um, it, <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid. I'm sorry, <laughs> but in Claudio's, uh, tell when the parts of the fence are destroyed, our solar system, the sun, earth, all that shit is formed. Because the planets start revolving around that. I've always wondered how the Big Bang happened. Yeah. (laughs) So Silent Earth 3 is that planet. Because it's been this laws. No one can have heard from it. That were the rebel bases. That's right. Kind of stationed that. Well, that's a cool little fun fact. It's a cool little fun fact. There's several little fun facts about this whole album that I I dig. I'm not going to lie. If I gush over anything, this to me is... This to me is Coheed and Cambria's perfect album. Perfect by my skewed standards. <laughs> but to me, it's almost flawless. Um, but yeah, uh, it, they, they went on tour, they uh, played a bunch, and then they went in to record. And of course, the two, uh, two major singles that came out of it was, of course, Favorite House of Atlantic. Yeah, Favorite House of Atlantic with that iconic music video, which for a long time Isaac kept sitting there thinking, them girls, them <laughs> girls, they are rocking. That, that's totally like a fake band on stage. Oh, yeah, like not realizing how much of a fucking idiot I was. <laughs> that man's got a lot of hair. <laughs> Again, coming in with that fun fact, that actually where Claudio met his current day wife. Was on the studio. On the set. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, she was one of the blonde-headed women. Um, I wish I could remember her name off the top of my head. But yeah, they met on that uh, on the set for that. They've been together for a long time. She's also um, one of his art, helping with the art direction for the band later on. That's cool. Uh, that was released June 8th of 2004. Uh, Blood Summer uh, came out in November of 2004 as well, which was... Uh, really big song for them after a favorite house Atlantis because it was just a catchy little rock number and it was yeah. following the zombie craze yeah like I think you had kind of touched on it a little bit with blood red summer but that was one that was a little odd 
to me at the time, and maybe I just completely made up. You you had said that, but I, that one took a second. Like I really dug it eventually, but I was like, man, this is kind of a weird a weird number. But so was favoring the House of Atlantic, but I mean. That that just goes to show, like as you mature and stuff, and li- it just stuff just starts to sink in. And those are some solid album, solid singles. Yeah, it's like it to me. What's great about it is that they both kind of in the same vein of just being good rock songs over just trying to be complex or anything. They were just steady rock songs with uh, catchy lyrics. Yeah, and I mean, like I personally didn't realize like how big that house of atlantic song was we were until like i was with my high school band and we were having to drive like two two and a half hours back uh to our school and uh we were all just like picking out songs to play you know pokemon theme song (laughs) some britney spears because you know you gotta have diversity you know that she toxic (laughs) and then like so i just uh not me but a buddy of mine uh just started singing uh he literally just started (laughs) and then i was like (gasps) and then the whole bus like cheerleaders jocks teacher like everybody started singing that song and that was like that's one like fond memory i have of just like that album is like man like if it can just like kind of touch everybody like not that like you know that it was just a world shattering song but i mean like everybody could get down with that like that was just a rad song it kind of just showed you if it's kind of showed you sometimes simplicity is more popular than complexity yeah that isn't like me trying to be a buddhist it's, no like it's, I, 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 could, I can get behind i'm picking up what you're laying down because their third single was actually the title track it was released in 2005. There were never a music video uh, accompanying it. It was just released as its own, as its own, and I don't think it did as well. But it's a great song. It is like, like literally from start to finish with a whole telephone ringing, and it's like, "Good Apollo, where do I begin?" Like, what the fuck? <laughs> What's going on? And and then going into that track, I'm like, uh oh. Like that was the first time I can honestly remember like getting goosebumps like when I started listening I'm like this is this is building up to something. <laughs> um yeah. Uh, I I love I will gush about this album all day just because it, to me it's just a really good album. Like there's not a bad there's not a particularly bad song throughout it, in my opinion. If I had to choose one, it would probably be uh during that quartet or quintet, I'm sorry. Uh, actually, it wouldn't be either. I'm sorry. It's that uh, those three. Uh, yes, like, Valkyrium camper. See, and and speaking back, back into for, forever. Yeah, and like like going off what you just said, like I, you know, I know you. We had you had given me like a little you know questionnaire that I could follow if I wanted to, and you're like, you know, what's the worst song on this album or whatever. I really struggled to like find like a song that I just hated or just didn't like, but yeah, like those three kind of were the weaker ones, but still like solid. Yeah, uh, and that's why I kind of phrased it as what what song did you dislike? Yeah, because hate is such a strong word, and 
I'm never, well, I can't say never, but recently I haven't had a song where I just, I hate the song. (laughs) Like, there's definitely a lot of songs I dislike, but Back in uh, Forever, to me, it just, I I get it's supposed to be a a song that builds up tension, but to me, it just, so slow about it at times, but I guess it's his intent, because it immediately goes into Al the Killer, which is this very aggressive, very heavy song about killing white girls. Yes. How relatable. <laughs> again, we want to stress. This Slay. Is, again, we want to stress is this is a concept album and you shouldn't actually kill white girls. <laughs> I wish he would have said that before. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I, I'm serious. Like, I even love the Hope first. I'm not blowing your mic up. <laughs> That's fine. We'll, I'll fix it in post. But yeah, um. The first uh, of the Camper trilogy, uh, Fane of Hearts. I love that. That whole cuckoo cuckoo. You know where that's from, right? I'm assuming a Beatles. Yes. Yeah. Like, I just remember listening, like, cuckoo cuckoo. What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. it, where, where everything comes from, the, the Beatles. The, the fucking 70s. And <laughs> um, Yellow Submarines, my dude. I remember when I was really getting into guitar, like learning the crowing was like my like crowning achievement. Cause that is a fun song. It's, it's actually not that hard, but it's just a fun song. Like just do 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 Josh Eppert were the standout performers in my opinion because that rhythm section helped carry a lot of that album. But this album, this was definitely Claudio and definitely Travis's time to shine. You can really see like the complexity starting to come through with Travis. And I mean, Claudio to me has always been solid, but yeah, you just start seeing him just like ripping into some stuff. No disrespect or anything to Josh because he kept, he kept those odd time signatures going like, like it was nothing. But Mick was like way down in the mix at times. I mean, he, if you if you if you left him, you would notice. But it's just that bottom end was just so muddied at times. It's this all I heard was just the uh, the root note, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was Claudio and Travis just killed it to me. Yeah, I, they have them pussy slayers, <laughs> them white girl slayers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and speaking of which, I think they... White girl slang? No, no, not white girl slang, but like <laughs> audience slang. Like, that final song, The Light in the Glass. Boy, let me tell you, like, when I was going through my recent listen, just to kind of get a refresher on this, I was kind of holding that uh, end song, A God Conspirator or whatever. I was like, mm, let's see if, uh, from my memories, if they had a, a good ender on this. I didn't remember it, but I listened to it. Oh, that was... That's so good. It's butter. Oh, man. I would rub it all over me. Like, it just, it builds, and it just builds, and it, it starts off nice and soft, and this is when it crescends, like crescends, or whatever. When it finally just builds up to that tension, and just that release, uh, that's like your father died, or your fa- father daddy passed in his sleep, which, story perspective, don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> I don't. But it was just like this whole like cry of emotion that this album had been building up to me, and it's just a great way of ending it. 
Uh, anyway, and the final uh, hidden song, 2113, which, again, I already said it's a, it's a Rush reference. Like, to me, like that's them at their most progressive level right there for this album because it just... It goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And it doesn't feel like it's a, it doesn't feel like it's a collage of ideas. It just feels like they're trying to take each idea to the, to an extreme to kind of roll it around. And I, I dig it. I like it. It's a, it's a nice little kitschy song. And if someone doesn't listen to it on the first time around, you know, it's not like the end of the world, but I think it's a good listen to check out and see what them actually trying to be like super progressive would sound like. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a hell of a way to finish out the album because going into good Apollo, that's where we get some, some super prog rock and, uh, but we'll, we'll get to that, I suppose. But, uh, but, uh, I was, I was saving it, but that whole 2113, uh how it was implemented is that was a time that Claudia, uh, that, uh, Colleen Cambria, had to kill their children by before uh, one of the baddies came by to finish it for them. To which I have to ask, why exactly do they need to be there at 9.13? Yeah, like... I will be there exactly at 9.13. Like, oh, oh, bad omen. (laughs) So help you if you are a second late and I have to miss my hair cleaning, dry cleaning, whatever. You know, I get my hair cleaned all the time. Well, it's like uh, the whole Ishibuti thing at uh, at the beginning of uh, Devil in Jersey City. That's something like the kids would say, like just Ishibuti, like in the comics. And it was like, what? I feel like you're forcing this a little. I don't know. I, I love this album. I I really think it's, it is well worth a listen. It is it is a must play. Oh, that's a, a quintessential of Coheed for sure. Yeah, uh, I I don't think. I don't think if you listen to Cody and Cambria, if you don't listen to this year, well, you're just not a real fan. You're dead inside. <laughs> what leads us right into Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4, Volume 1, From Fear Through the Eyes of Madness. The world's longest album name. The Good Apollo, what's, I'm just going to sort it down to Good Apollo because... Yeah. Good Apollo was released on September 20th of 2005, right around my birthday, so I, I had an awesome time. <laughs> Uh, it was recorded from February uh, to May of early that year of 2005 as well. Again, recorded at Applehead Recordings over in Woodstock by Michael and Chris again. It was actually exclusively released through Columbia this time. Uh, the artwork was uh, done by Christopher Shai, uh, who also did the graphic novel um, artwork, which I will touch on later on. Uh, not about the story, but just about the graphic novel in general that came out with it. Because I have some feelings. Um, but the main three singles they had off there was the first one, the mega hit, Welcome Home, that was released September uh, to prelude the album in a lot of ways. Um, September 2005. Uh, the next year, February 13th, saw the release of The Suffering. And then later on that same year, they released 10 Speed of God, Blood, and Burial. Uh, again, no video, just a single. I think it was released on MySpace and maybe uh, some radio stations. But, yeah. That was literally the first song I played on Rock Band was a, a shitty cover of uh, 10 Speeds of God's Blood. You know, a quick, quick tangent. 
and I'm not sure if it's going to be saying, but quick tangent. What was up with Rock Band for a long time, like just doing covers? And then all of a sudden, like, just like, screw it, let's get to actual. I feel like it was literally, like, you know, because I'm sure it costs more to get the artist and everything like that to and their actual work. And it's just, you know, cheaper to do that. And, I mean, as Rock Band got more and more popular, like, as it just shot towards the sun until it eventually just fizzled. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I just think they got better and better. But, yeah, I, it... it you know, I try to make that defense for it, but now thinking about it, Welcome Home like released on Rock Band Three, and it and was it, it was solid, and they also then released the DLC for Ten uh, Ten Speed, and it was a speed. crappy cover. Yeah, it was like if you you couldn't have just been like, "Hey, Claudio, man, could you give us a buy one get one or something like for that?" Real. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna license one. Why not license all of them? But yeah, yeah. Um, well, then I take that back. Welcome Home was the first Coheed song I played on Rock Band, thinking about it now. <laughs> Man, I the Welcome Home was like just a monster of a hit. That was everywhere. I mean, like, you couldn't go any... Like, it's still... Like, it's 2005 it was released. Like, 15 years later, it is still being used everywhere. And it's such an epic song. Yeah, like, you want to go, like... Slay some white girls to that song, like <laughs> that, like acoustic opening riff, and oh, well, it, it's like anytime you listen to a Coheed album, you kind of hear their uh, influences on. They wear their influences on their sleeves in a lot of ways. Like their first album was definitely very hardcore punk inspired in a lot of ways. You can hear that in some of the songs. Second album, you can hear a little bit more of the uh, not psychedelic per se, but a lot more of the. Um. Uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Um, more like more heavier influence, like rocker influences, like, like okay. almost like kind of going into that rush, kind of you yeah, know, like Rush, uh, Black Sabbath, like just like classic bands, but bands that have brought the hits. And then with this, you hear that '70s heavy metal influence, like Led Zeppelin. What's this? One of the bigger influences. I was about to say, fun fact. <laughs> Go ahead. What, what's a fun fact? Well, if I'm not mistaken, isn't like at 1620 of the final, like six minutes and 20 seconds into the final cut, it's like, a, like I heard that song, never knew what it was, but I was like, oh, well, that's a cool little diddly. <laughs> and then while I was like researching it, it was some, I'm going to mispronounce this, but apparently that's like an ode to a Led Zeppelin song, Braun Your R Stomp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like I listened to it back, I was like, "Oh, well." And listening to you talking about how, like, you know, Ru- they had that ode to Rush and everything, it it seems really cool. That I don't know if that's something that they continue to do, but you know, have these little like, "Hey, these are the people that influence us," and you know, we're gonna we're gonna do our own little thing to kind of show yeah. our love. And and that's something I I can I already liked that music when I, before I started listening to Coheed and the lights is coming into it having people who love it too and like just not a revival but just a reinterpretation of that seventies rock was just refreshing um, like the strings and everything like that on the album is so cool just to hear like I it's hard for me to like put the album down at all because it's just a good album. You want to listen to it from start to finish. You you really do, but... Okay, so... 
the midway point for the album, like it, towards like Once Upon Your Dead Body and Wake Up, they're good. They could be a little bit better, but they're good. And then you got the Lying Lies and Dirty Secrets of Miss Erica Court, and then Mother May I. I'm like the Lying Lie. I kind of I'm okay with, but yes, the the Mother May. Oh my god, that that's the uh, the stepchild, the redheaded stepchild of the the bunch. Like those, they they're not bad. They're not bad, but on their own, they're not great. True. Like if you listen to the album from start to finish, they're fine. But when you when you just want you know what you want to listen to, it's hard to stay invested in those two songs by themselves. Yeah. But I love the suffering. Suffering is just fun, especially the music video where it was like like them fighting like the crowd. Yeah. It's a fun. It's a fun song all around, but it just. CGI mania. <laughs> because of Willing Well, that actual oh that is an actual quintet or quartet. It's quart you know what it's it is <laughs> It got these minis. <laughs> it's a Q word. Anyway, the, the the last four, the Willing Well saga. Yeah. Uh the Willing Well saga is just really good. Mm-hmm. Like, I cannot stop by just listening to only one. I have to start from one, go to four, because, again, going back to, like, they lift, somehow listed that curse of no bad ender, like, the final cut. Holy crap, that is such... Yeah. Uh, aside from this uh, obvious Pink Floyd reference, like, it is just insanely out there, just being uh, just shamelessly, like, let's just show the guitars off. Like, that's the song that on the NeverEnder uh, DVD, like, my my stepfather was like, what in the hell are you listening to? <laughs> and then I was like, okay, okay, I feel you on that. Hold on. And I turned that song on. He's just like, oh. He, he immediately called out the Pink Floyd reference, but... <laughs> You just you see him just like in trance, like oh man, I am really digging. And then it gets to like the you know when they're like shouting and stuff like that. This is no beginning. Yeah, Yeah. you just see him immediately starting to fall off. Like what is happening? But but for a moment, my stepfather really was digging some Coheed and Cambria. (laughs) I think my dad actually liked a few of theirs, like a few of their songs. But again, it's it was kind of the same reaction of yeah. It was better back when I was growing up, but yeah, this is good. <laughs> this is what you need to listen to good music. Uh, so, while, while we're on that, I kind of want to touch on the additional musicians and get into my conspiracy theory. Oh, good. So, uh, Danny Lewis actually comes back to play keyboard. He does a fantastic job, especially on the final cut when you get to hear him like just kind of go off of Claudio vocals and then have those little solo parts at the end. Fantastic. Uh, Daniel, um, I'm going to mispronounce this. I'm sorry. Shad, uh, Sad, Sodnik? Sadonik? I, I, I guess he provided additional per- percussion on uh, track six and eight. And Sarah, Sarah Catherine Jacob provided additional vocals or backing vocals on track nine and 15. Along with uh, Claudio's niece, uh, she provided the child voice on track two, Always and Never, and the final part of like Beyond, Snot, yeah. or whatever. Um, they also have a Curtis uh, Jagerson at sound effects. But, I mean, there's stuff throughout that. I'm not sure if he's actually 
providing stuff or he's just one of the mixers. But I thought it'd be fine to include it. Uh, string arrangements were done by a Carl Birder. This dude actually have done several uh, string arrangements for like jazz, uh, Caribbean. Like he is, he's actually a big name in uh, session uh, arrangements. Oh, okay. Along with the people he got, the celloist Thomas Ulrich, a viola Ron Lawrence, and violins done by Julianne uh, Kalpokic. Kalpokic? Tick? Kapotic, I'm sorry. And Meg, oh, I'm definitely going to butcher this. Meg Okura. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, you're amazing musicians. You really are. I'm sorry I mispronounced your name. It's just I, not that much to go change your name, is all I'm saying. Like, it's easier to be like Brian Smith <laughs> than it is to be. Uh, Don't stand out. Blend in, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, isn't this like um that's this is Josh Shepard's like last like this is the last studio album. This is the last album of the original Coheed and Cambria lineup when they officially became Coheed. Technically what happened is Josh quit the band and then Mick quit the band. Uh, okay. Both of them were over if I understand correctly both were over drug use. Oh. Josh, so he wanted to do his own thing. He was tired of that. Mick, I think, did it to go to rehab, which... Fair. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to what happened. Have you heard whatever happened to him? No. I'm ready to ride this conspiracy theory. No, this isn't that conspiracy oh, theory. Well, but this isn't even a conspiracy theory. It's a felony charge he got caught <laughs> with. We'll, a conspiracy. We'll, we'll get to that in part two, if we ever get to part two. But uh, they left... So for a long time, it would just, um, for a while, it was just Claudio and Travis. Um, and we'll get that whole fucking story when you get to No World for Tomorrow, because that's, that's a ride in and of itself, uh, okay. what happened there. But, okay, so if you go to the Wikipedia page, like I'm sure everyone does when they're doing research, you'll notice three names that stand out. A Kara Bullock and a Nick Gardner who provide a ukulele. On the album. Both of them play ukulele on the albums. All right. And a Chester Brockwell, who provided didgeridoo. <laughs> All right. Now. I'm with you. I'm not, because <laughs> I've listened to... I'm, I'm, growing up, I've listened to that album, like, countless times. And doing research, I've listened to it a few more times. And, like, when I read that again, this before before we recorded, I listened to it again with, like, my, my super-duper studio headphones. I don't hear ukuleles. I don't hear didgeridoos. <laughs> and, like, I went to this other website uh, called uh, Discog, which deals with the production side of it. Like, this, these are the CD that were produced. These are the names that appeared in the, in the actual liner notes, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Nowhere is this. Nowhere are they listed. Hmm. And anytime you type in like the name of the didgeridooer, duelist, for yeah, to do. Anytime you type in the didgeridooist name, you don't get a actual professional didgeridoo or anything. It is constantly changing. Anytime you type in Cody or Cody Cambria and didgeridoo. You get the Wikipedia article, 
and constant different websites that have done nothing but copied and paste a Wikipedia article in their sites. Hmm. So, where did this read you, Bart? <laughs> Aliens. Aliens, for where, sure. Where's the ukulele at, Bart? That, I mean, granted, well, I don't know, man. Like, you, you've just always been a lot better at, like, picking out... Like instruments and like full on orchestras, and I mean so, songs in that album are just so epic. Maybe it got lost in it, but see, that's what I originally thought too. Like it is somewhere down in the mix, but that's why when I listened to it with the studio headphones, I kind of like sat there and kind of highlighted different parts or highlighted where I can through my uh, equalizer, and you can hear the strings. So str- like every every artist that appeared on this has had that moment to just. Yes, I hear the organ. Yes, I hear this. Uh, even still guitars, mandolins, shit like that, you hear that. But I don't hear a didgeridoo. And the only thing people have been saying, like, it's possibly the drones on the final cut. But you've heard a didgeridoo. You, you, you know what it sounds like. I've seen Dewey Cox. Yeah. <laughs> Fifteen more didgeridoo. <laughs> no, no, 16. I don't know. But it's this drone that does that is there, but it's... It's so compressed and uh, distorted that it's no way it's, e- it's either an electric didgeridoo, which I've never fucking heard of, <laughs> or just a keyboardist. This laying on that that B or whatever it is. My father said I'd never make as a didgeridooist. Just, if you're playing, key- put didgeridoo. <laughs> and, like, they're not, like, fucking harmonicas where you can get, like, a harmonica. Right. Like, this is a B-flat didgeridoo. <laughs> <laughs> or this is a B flat seven didgeridoo, and this is a C sharp eleven didgeridoo. Like it's, it's all like this fucking rhythmic and droning. So, what I ended up doing is I found out uh, where the producers are. And I sent them an email. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh well, that's fun. I'm really into this now. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got an answer back. I'm probably if. if I get an answer back by the time I'm done editing. I'll add it. What in did post. you say? Where's the where the fuck is the didgeridoo? <laughs> <laughs> Where's my Dunkaroos, buddy? You have I'm being lied to. <laughs> no, no, I just like hey, I've, I've listened to this album so many times, and where is it? Where where is the Dunkaroos, buddy? <laughs> and I, I was just like, I also put in there like P.S. I found this by looking up the predic- predic- uh, particular producers. I think they're the owners of this. I believe so. If they're not, please feel free to disregard this email. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, if you know, tell me. For real. And it's a conspiracy theory, of course, but I just don't fucking hear it. And there is no sources. Because normally, like I said, with the other stuff, they list what tracks they're on. Why they're just not a they're not a consistent dentary doof throughout the whole fucking album. They're not consistent ukuleles throughout the whole fucking album. <laughs> Maybe they like there was like a bulk thing. You had to buy the whole orchestra, whether you <laughs> used it or not. Like you have to have like the five. Like you have to have a studio set up, and this in the background, like in channel five, you hear. Yeah. Uh, we don't really need you here. Just there go over. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what happened. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm so, okay. Sorry for that tangent. It was just I thought it was too good to kind of like give up, but yeah, or pass up. But I love this album. I thought it's a good album. Um, really, the standout tracks are the singles that they do, especially Ten Speed of God Blood. I love that song. That uh, riff is awesome, especially in the chorus. 
Yeah, this is. Um, I don't know if I'm particularly that so. I mean, it's a good song for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's got some solid riffs, or else it wouldn't be on Rock Band. But um, I, I really, really like just out of nowhere the um, uh, what is that soft song on there where it's just acoustic and Claudio Wake Up, Wake Up. Yeah, I, like I don't know. That was. That was a good song to me. Like I, re- I really liked that song more than I think I should have, <laughs> and I just like I don't know that. And especially like the first time I listened to it, because that's the one where he's like, um, I- "I'd kill babies or something like that for you," and I'm like. Well, man, oh. he's trying to express something, and it's heavy. <laughs> but oh, yeah, like uh, I think that was like I think that was uh, in Keeping Secrets. Like was it? Yeah, because okay. it was uh, uh, I do anything for you. Cut to throw some babies. It That's was. I'm heart. completely no, but I'm, you, but still, there's stuff in that. Like, like you could have been all that I wanted, but you weren't honest. Just get in the ground. Like. <laughs> Who talks like that? But it's just uh, so fucking in your face. It's catchy. Yeah, but, but yeah, that was a surprise. Like that, I really liked on there, and the writing writer, um, I really, yes, really like. That was just a another crazy one that I was just way more into than I think I should have been. But like everything about that, those the, both the 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 first time you hear it, and then the when it comes back in in the Willing Wells. It's just like every time it kicks you with that little bass, like do 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 do. No. Uh, speaking of uh, going back to ten speed for a minute, I, I, I forgot in the in the uh, cover. Did they have that little talking part when they're doing? Man, did, I don't know. Did you ever listen to that for real? No, I never listened. To, I mean, I knew it was there, but I didn't really like give it the time of day or anything like that. Oh man, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> do tell. Well. No, uh, I guess it's a good time to kind of slide into what the story is. I know I didn't go into it in Keeping Secrets. All you got to know is Claudio kind of like told, hey, you're the crowing. You're supposed to be the guy to save all of us. He's like, I don't want to. Well, you should. Okay. (laughs) He meets a black guy named Al the Killer who kills white girls. He gets the favorite house, Atlantis, wreck house, and then leaves. I, I'm I'm really condensing down like a lot of right, but in this one, Claudio Sanchez himself kind of writes himself into the story. Okay, um, and the whole thing is this is coming from the perspective of the writer of this world and his mental state and how his mental state is influencing the story state and how. He's just at this point where he's like, I just want the story done. And my character isn't doing what I want him to do. So I'm going to literally go in there and force him to do something. Oh, that's kind of a cool... That's a, that's a cool little nifty I, thing. Yeah, I didn't want to I didn't want to believe it at the time, and I, I kept saying no on the message forms. But it was heavily inspired by Stephen King's A Dark Tower. Because, spoiler alert, I'm sorry for a, a, a goddamn series that's been out for years... Uh, Stephen King writes himself into the Dark Tower to be oh. the god of... Uh, oh, is he? I mean, technically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, that what Kohi does, and or that what Claudio does. Christopher uh, Shai uh, originally did the graphic novel uh, that came out with this. And 
when I first got it, I loved it because it was like, oh, I got something tangible. I can understand the story now because I have something to read it. And at the time, I didn't get it. Years later, when I reread it, definitely didn't get it. And when I got older and reread it, I got angry because <laughs> it's a piece of shit. It is <laughs> like Christopher's uh, shy as a like a concept artist and as a poster artist and stuff like that. He's amazing. The like flipping through that uh, booklet and everything. There's so many great like shots where you're like, oh man, this story being unfolded to me. Like, dude walking away with planets cracking in the background. That weird um, guillotine with feathers mm-hmm. and shit. There's so much really good stuff that he did, but he's terrible at sequential storytelling. And the fact that there's several times where you see like this uh, like static image that is zoomed in on and then zoomed out on, and lines that are just written that are just typed down there and then like squiggly lines drawn to it. It is not good. I also heard. If I remember right, it costs like Claudio Sanchez like three thousand dollars a page God. to make it happen. I could be wrong. I I, I hope I am wrong. But three thousand dollars a page just for like just none of it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, was that how fully developed was the story before? Like that comic or that graphic novel came out. Like Be- before it came out, there was two comic books that were released. Uh, it was originally titled "The Bag Online Adventures of Cody and Cambria," and there was only two comics that released for Second Stage Turbine Blades. And I joke now because it, it, I call it the Rick Sanchez villain one because the main villain like Rick Sanchez a little bit, uh-huh. but it, it's not good. I, I don't like the artwork on that, and there's several times where the page is just a static image with this, like a book text available. Ooh. Yeah, uh, just a wall of text that you have to read to make sense of it. And this, it was like sparse text, sparse artwork, dark artwork. Like it is, there's more black on most pages than anywhere, and like you have no idea what's going on. Like. Why? Why is he upset with this woman? What? What's going on with Erica Court? What? Why? What's going on with these weird may like magey looking characters? Mm-hmm. Who is? Who are these children? What is going on? There's so many questions that this thing does not answer. And for a long time, that's all anyone had to go off of what the story was telling. And that would kind of also pisses me off. It's like it is just that bad. And there's not really like a, a good way to like say start at the beginning and go through the story, or at least what there is now, I guess. Well, now, now because uh, after what happened with that, uh, Claudio started his own uh, publishing company called Evil Inc. Publishing. Uh, he worked with Image and Twelve Gauge Comics to put out the redesigned, re- redone version of his story called The Am- the Amory Wars. Okay. Um, so as right now, there are three complete sets. You have the second stage turbine blades. Um, then you have the and Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth, and now you have Good Apollo 1 that is available. And they're now being published under Boom Comics, um, which is good because Boom is a good, reliable comic studio, in my opinion. They okay. they have, they work with their artists a lot of the time and their talent, but thankfully after this, 
I'm, I hate being mean like this, but thankfully after Second Stage Turbine Blade, they kind of pulled Claudio away from writing that yeah. and gave it to people who are a little bit more competent, including his wife. His wife wrote the script for Good Apollo for the re the re release. Oh, that's cool. And it is actually really. She's a great writer. Uh, I'm not going to say like she's you know like Gil R R Martin or anything like that, but right. she's a good she's a good writer. She's solid for that that universe. Uh, but I just I can't think of anything else to say about this album other than it is it, it is worth it. it is worth a listen. It is I think this one is kind of like where your love is for the you know the second album. Like this one for me is like Coed and Cambria. Like this is the one that I listen to over and over and just about perfect. Yeah, like. Like it's like in the hierarchy of Coheed and Cambria albums, like this is almost dead even. Was in keeping is in keeping to me has a at time better a better progression and flow. Where like I said before, Good Apollo kind of stumbles a little bit around Mother May I and The Lying Lies. I don't know. I, I just they're both so good of albums. Like I would say they're not even worth a listen. They're must listen. There's yeah, especially because I think this is about where. They peaked. I mean, not that, not that uh, No World for Tomorrow was bad, but it definitely wasn't. It was nowhere near the polish, and well, yeah, I just didn't like it near as much as the uh, the, the previous two. Well, we'll we'll talk about that more next time on part two. But other than that, this has been DNR. Thank you for listening. Ciao, Bella.